This week we are going to be speaking on Romans, so we're going to continue on Romans from um, what we've been doing so far. And, and last week we spoke on Romans 1 verses 18 to 32, and it basically focused on God's righteousness and human sin and idolatry. And if you were here, it was a pretty um, confronting passage because it calls out confronting things and it calls out things that we all have subscribed to at some point in in time but the main thing that it calls out is sin and and so what we we looked at as we went through and we we read this and we we understood that um to understand god's righteousness and the freedom that the, the gospel salvation brings to us we first need to understand that the depravity of sin you know it's like no knowing how captive, captive you were will, will make how free you are so much more amazing. It says in the Bible that those who have been forgiven much will forgive much. So if you know how much you were forgiven, you'll forgive more. And it says, Paul, by the end of his life, he says in his letters that I am the chief of sinners. I am the worst sinner. And Paul, to me, outside of Jesus, is probably one of the most significant people in the New Testament. He penned pretty much half, more than half of the New Testament. He was um, someone who got brought in um, as the, when Judas Iscariot, the, the 12th disciple, who took his own life, um, he was the person that got brought in to replace and become that 12th apostle. You know, and so he's significant. He's significant. And so this book of Romans, I don't know if you, who's enjoying it so far? Who's been here for one or two or heard on SoundCloud? You enjoying it? Good, because I was saying to Megs the other day, it's like I feel like I'm learning so much. Like I feel like I've learned so much over these past four weeks. It's ridiculous. But just a quick recap um, to, about the book. Bam, not that one. Let's go to the next one. A mini recap. It's a letter written by Paul to the churches in Rome. So it's not just one church. There's not just one Roman church. We're not. It's not one Roman mega church. It's like a, a, a whole bunch of churches all around the place. Pretty much like pockets of us, just all around. And this letter will be sent, and you get up the front and read it out to the church. And there's a letter. So who's ever written a letter before? A love letter. Who's ever written a, a hate letter? Ah, oh, we've got. <laughs> Who's ever written a hate Facebook post? You know, it's like, oh, you know, it's along the lines of your 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 game. You're writing to an audience, and it's not just an uh, it's not just an essay or uh, academic writing, but it, it does have purpose and it does have a, a place where it's supposed to be received. Um, but it is an introduction because it's the first time Paul's ever written to the the churches in Rome, um, and it's written because Rome's central in Europe, and uh, it's a great place for them to then. Uh, expand the kingdom and the mission further because if you go to one place to set up camp and they just head out. I lived in London for three years and I just travelled from London. It's kind of like that. You set base up in one camp and then you travel and go out to different places. Uh, if you want to go back to the last last um, picture, you can see here, um, that's, that's the boot of Italy, Rome, and that's a little boat going across to Spain. If you don't have this picture, please talk to someone and we'll get you this picture so you can look it on your phone. Um, but that's Romans. And so we're actually down, down here. And if you see it, it says more guilty. Sin, guilty. <laughs> it's, it's fun. 
It's fun. So what we're going to talk about is um, I've actually broken down this over the period of time. And in about a chapter and a half, we start getting the feel-goods. We start reading into the passages that are a lot less confronting, but a lot more um, uplifting. You know, and so um, not to say that these aren't valuable. These are actually probably just as valuable, if not more, for us to understand the power of the cross. So last week we spoke on Romans 1 verses 18 to 32. This week we're going to speak on Romans 2 verses 1 to 16. And like I said, we, we will read this part where you need to understand it as a whole for it all to make sense. Yeah, I made a, a joke last, last week about Charlie at the Chocolate Factory. If you just come in and you see the part in the Charlie Chocolate Factory where the woman, the girls turn into a giant blueberry, it's crazy. It's a crazy movie. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this giant blueberry section, but understand that there's a greater picture, there's a greater story, narrative that has gone on and is going on within this letter. Is that okay? Look at me and say, you're doing great. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's doing great. Turn to the other person and say, I'm listening great. All right, I saw someone on their phone before, but that's all right. You can listen through your phone. All right, Romans 2, <laughs> Romans 2 verse 1 to 16. I'm going to get out of the way. Um, ESV, God's righteous judgment. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. Ah, oh, I haven't cropped it enough. You can't, anyway. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his words, to those who, by patience and well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Next slide. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The first, first, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all those who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience, conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day, when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. That was tough. Do you want me to read it, read it again? Okay. That there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. Um, and to. Uh, I'll, I'll say honestly, to try and do justice to it in, in the short amount of time that we have is hard. Um, so if there are extra things we can talk about later, I'm more than happy to talk about it with you later. But first of all, what we're going to do is we're going to go to uh, uh, the first section in this Romans uh, 2 verses 1 to 4. And it talks about God's righteous judgment. You know, these are the, these are the first four that are collected into this section of um, basically saying that no one can avoid the judgment of God. 
No one can avoid the judgment of God. Jew, Gentile, good, bad, male, female, Democrat, Republican, Liberal, Labour, Manchester United, Arsenal, Eagles, Dockers. No one. Decaf, caffeinated. You know, anyone. No one. Vegan, carnivore. You can't escape the judgment of God. You cannot escape the judgment of God. And I don't know how that makes you feel when you talk about the judgment of God. I don't know if you sit there and you say, Ugh, judgment, judge, 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 judge. And it, it makes you kind of cringe a little bit because you've heard that in contexts that are bad. People use it in the wrong way or use it in ways that actually oppress people. I don't know if you've heard that before, but I have. When it says righteous before it, it means it is godly. It means that it is good. And there's a purpose for it. And it's a purpose that gives a hope and a future. Righteous is good. Righteous is good. Yeah, imagine us before God in heaven because of Jesus. And imagine you're wearing this. And on here, there's the... the the experiences, the sins of the world, and someone's just thrown paint at me, just like paint, red, sin, red. This time you looked at that, this time that you said this, the time, and I'm just covered in paint, I'm covered in paint that basically says that I'm not clean, I'm tarnished, that I have been, no, sorry, tainted. You know, righteous is when Jesus comes and puts a cloak of righteousness on us, a robe of righteousness, and it says that we are clean, Fully clean. So when we look at the word righteous, you could just go into a word study here and realize that righteous, when we say God's righteous judgment, we mean his righteousness, his judgment of righteousness, his heart is for us to know God and know salvation. And it says further on, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but look at here. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Everything God does is to lead you to Him. Good, bad, ugly. Anyway, I got ahead of myself there. But it says in Romans 1, Therefore you excuse, O man, everyone who judges you, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. This is written like it's written to a specific person. Hey, you. You talk about this. You talk about this. You talk about this. It's written, the language, it changes throughout the letter as it's written to a specific person. That's because it is. I know that's crazy because we're talking about it's written to the Jews and the Gentiles and bringing everyone in, in the Roman church. But what he's actually doing is writing to specific people who, within this, um, the judgment and whatnot of, of others, are basically trying to create a holy separation between them and other people. Because Romans 1 talked about sin, gossip, slander, sexual sins, all these different things. And it goes on and it, it almost paints out this notorious list of these are the baddies and these aren't the baddies. So what's happening is all the Christians are sitting in the church and saying, sweet, I'm not on that list, I'm good. I'm not on that list, therefore I am good. They're looking at the moral upstanding of these people on this naughty list and saying, I'm not on that list, therefore I can judge those people who are on that list. But what God then, what Paul then comes and says is that, you know, you have no excuse, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. 
Because what it's saying here is that regardless of how morally profound or healthy you think you are, we all need God. We all need grace. You know, one of the, per- the people he actually wrote to is verse 1 and 3 in particular is written to a specific other person or group of little people. Um, not many, maybe one, two or three. Um, but there, it goes on later and speaks towards the Jewish people group. But in this first section, it's actually believed that there is someone by the name of Seneca. A man named Seneca, he's almost like, he's a Roman politician, a moral teacher and tutor of Nero, who was one of the emperors. And so what's happened is, he, Seneca basically says, I advocate the teachings of Paul. I agree with what he's saying. And then what he does, he actually takes this and says, these people are immoral. These people are immoral. And he condemns them. So this person in a high position condemns these people. But the thing about it was, the people in the Roman church, get this, they admired Seneca. They admired him because of his principles and his values that they were upstanding. So they were saying, he's a family man. We admire Seneca. But basically what's happening is they're admiring Seneca, a man who is condemning people. So Paul's saying it's a... Even though you are admiring a man who stands against moral um, inconsistency, sin, all these different things, what you are doing by getting along behind him and advocating and saying, yes, that this person, we admire him, you're saying that almost like we admire you more than we worship God. Because you condemn the action. But God convicts the, the heart. And so what's happening is, that Paul's saying it's like even Seneca, this man, this person who's upstanding, like your Tony Robbins. You know Tony Robbins, the, um, the motivational speaker with a massive head and a huge jaw. I uh, he's like you. You could be the best you. Yeah. So, anyway, he's <laughs> basically then saying, "All right, I see what you're saying, man. But the thing is, anyone who judges sin is practicing." The same sin. And so, even though it's not identical in action, the conduct is the same. You sin against light. You sin against God by making yourself judge. So, basically, we are no better than anyone else. We are no better than anyone else. And this is the first verse. We are no better than anyone else. It is what it is. You cannot claim to be a more wholesome sinner than someone else. My sin doesn't hurt people. Well, it hurts itself. My sin doesn't hurt people in the way that someone else who physically hurts people does. Well, actually, sin is sin. It has a decaying, a decaying element to it. It hits you, it hits you, it hits you. I don't know about you, but there are times, you know, I've held on to a lie. Who's ever held on to a lie for longer than they should have? I've held on to a lie and I've been telling people, oh, no, no, this is it, this is it. And I've turned to my wife and said, no, no, this is it. And she said, that's not it. And it hurts so much. Sin doesn't hurt. Sorry. Sin is not impartial. It is all sin. It's all under the same banner. 
So what we're looking at is basically that God, Paul is saying to the, to the Romans, hey, no one is greater than anyone else. We're all in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his salvation. Yeah, he's heard of that story. It's like um, the story in Matthew 7.15. He says to the person who has the speck in their eye, hey, you've got a speck of wood in your eye. And you're like chilling there with like a, a log coming out of your own eye. It says, we can't even judge the speck in someone else's eye because we've got a log in our own eye. You know, I, and the thing is, I tend to find, and this is just me, what I've found, is that the people will often judge others or someone else whether they either struggle or have a deficiency within themselves. It's kind of like if I am feeling quite like, who, who shakes with their left hand here? Does anyone ever shake with their left hand here? It is so weird. You don't shake with your left hand unless you don't have a right hand, but that's a different story. You go, you lead with your right. But when you are hurt, when there's a place in your life you don't want people to see maybe your hand's dirty or broken, you don't want people to see it, what you do is you either hide that hand or you lead with your left. And so what you do is you're, 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 you're trying to keep people away from that part within yourself. And so what you do is that instead of exposing yourself, you kind of say to other people, oh, look at where they're falling short. Look at where they're falling short. And often I find, and this is, I've had many stories of this, where people have come back to me later on and said, well, actually, this is where I'm struggling. It's the same place that they're condemning other people. You know, my thing is I just don't, I just don't condemn anyone. <laughs> I just don't condemn. I just don't, I try not to talk about people as much as I can, you know, unless it's necessary, because um, I'm a pastor. I guess at some points I have to. But I try to talk about it in a good way. How are they? What do I love about them? Yeah, because I've been caught out way too many times. So the proud person in verse 4, we've got a verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You know, sometimes we think that God's kindness and his patience have no value. But do we realize that God has been waiting patiently for the world to turn to him, to repent? God waited a long time for Jesus to come, for the world to turn to him. He's waiting for people to come because he is kind, he's patient, he is good. You know, goodness may be considered God's kindness to us in regards to our past sin because he has been good to us because he has not yet judged us on that past sin. Now, forbearance may be considered God's kindness to us in regard to our present sin. This very day, indeed, this very hour, we have fallen short of God's glory, yet he holds the judgment back against us. Patience may be considered God's kindness to us in regard to our future sin. He knows that we will sin tomorrow and the next day, yet he holds back his judgment against us. Yeah, it's... Knowing the goodness of God is meant to lead us to Repentance. Knowing that actually God has been patient and kind, patient and kind and good towards us, has actually meant to, meant to lead us to a place of repentance. Repentance means to, ah, I'm coming the wrong way. I've done 
the wrong thing. Hold up, I'm going to turn around and face God. Repentance is not a get on your knees, cry out, unless you feel like you need to cry. It's not a whip yourself with lashes or whatever. It's, it's I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to repent and say I was wrong, God. God's goodness, His kindness leads us to repentance. You know, this is a, a cool quote that um, a guy called Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon wrote. And says, are you waiting for God to drive you to repentance? He doesn't work like that. God leads you to repentance. Notice, dear friends, that the Lord does not drive you to repentance. Cain was driven away as a fugitive and a vagabond when he killed his righteous brother Abel. Judas went and hanged himself, being driven by an anguish of remorse because of what he'd done in betraying his Lord. But the sweetest and best repentance is that which comes not by driving, but by drawing. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. God leads you. He draws you. His kindness and goodness lead you to a place where you realize that I need God in my life. I know if you're sitting here and there's something in the back of your head that you're like, I hope someone doesn't find out about this. I hope that this, the people around me don't realize I'm struggling with this. Or you go home and it's like, I know what I'm going to do when I go home. Or know what I think about someone else. You know, you need to turn that part of your life to God because he's waiting and through Jesus we can. Through Jesus we can. Because of you and your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You know, the word store up usually means something precious. We store up something precious. But, you know, the wrath of God, and I talked about last week, the wrath of God is actually, um, can be uh, Translated as God leaving, leading us, leaving us to our own devices. You can stuff it up yourself as much as you want. You know, um, I, I gave an example last week. It's um, if someone gave me a recipe for bread, I might stuff it up still. You know, imagine trying to traverse life without a recipe for life, or someone leading you through it. You're just going to make mistakes, and that's okay. Because God's kindness leads us to, to repentance, to turn back to him. Say, so we need you. You know, it says in um, verse 6, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but uh, obey unrighteousness, there will, be, there will be wrath and fury. You know, God condemns the, or judges rather, the moralist and the sinner. Those who think they are better than others and those who know that they're not in a good place. You know, what we have to be very careful about here is basically saying that, you know, because of my history, my legacy, all these sort of things, that I am above those around me, that I understand the Bible better than others around me, I've walked further than those around me. What Paul is stressing so hard here is that you could be as mature, grown up, with kids, 
gone through life experiences, hardships, you can tithe, you can volunteer, you can do so many things. But the standard of God's righteousness is so high because it needs to be so high to, to pull us out of the depravity of sin that the only way that we can get there is not through our judgment of others or trying to convince God that we are better than we actually are, but it is through Jesus Christ. God is going to judge everyone on the same playing field. I heard someone say the other day, and I actually laughed at this, but I'm going to use it now. Um, I can't jump as high as LeBron James. Who, who's going to put their hand up and agree with that, that they don't think Andrew Norman can jump higher than LeBron James? All right. But he can, he can jump higher than me. I can still jump, but he can jump higher than me. Um... But how does, what does that matter when actually the standard of good jumping is to reach the moon? LeBron might be able to jump higher than me, but he still falls very short of the moon. God has judged every single person the same, but he sees through the eyes of Jesus. We are made and we are redeemed because of Jesus. And this is what Paul is saying to the Romans. Stop putting yourself higher than each other. Stop treating people who don't know the Bible as well as you less than you. Because the Jewish people knew the law. They studied it their whole life. The Gentiles, who were those who weren't Jewish, didn't. Yeah, it's, it's like... And I've been a barista, like people, uh, uh, we've got some baristas here. <laughs> baristas, Odette. It's like, <laughs> it's like rocking up to a, a coffee shop where someone has been a barista their whole life and they can do amazing latte art. And then you're like, well, I haven't done this my whole life, but I'm new and I want to give it a shot. And then you look at their latte art and they're like, well, that's really bad latte art. Was well, a person who's been doing it for 20 plus years is like, well, of course I've got good latte art. It's, it's just in my muscle memory. It's in my mind. It's in my, my veins. This is the, what Paul is doing to convict the Jewish and the Gentile divide. He's basically saying that you can say that you're smart. You can say that you know the law. You can say all these things. But actually, you've been doing it for a long time. Maybe you're actually going to get judged on a higher playing field because you should know it. He then goes on and later on and says that the judgment comes to the Jew first. Uh, is it up there? Yeah, the judgment comes to the Jew first in verse 10. Because the Jews were the people who God chose initially to carry the lineage of Jesus through to the cross. The Jews were the people who God gave the truth and the law and the gospel, well, not the gospel, but the reality of God to first. And so because they were the ones who received it first, they're going to be judged first. It's like, because you're the one who's been doing latte art for your whole life, you're going to be judged to that measure. Because you've been doing it your whole life. Ah, your latte art should be really good. But to the Gentile, who's just started doing latte art, like my Odette's over here, you know, it's like, you're going to be judged to that measure. But it's, can I tell you the secret? And I'll say it again. It's still under the standard of God. 
It is still... <laughs> I'm saying the same thing over and over again. But I just want to get it across. It's still under the standard of God. I can jump... Uh, 10 centimeters. LeBron can jump a lot higher than that. But he still doesn't touch the moon. God's going to render to each one according to his deeds. You know, yeah, Paul talks about those who continue to practice their faith. And it says, um, um, let's go back up. Next one, please. Uh, verse 11, for God shows no partiality. It is what it is. It's everyone's on the same playing field. There's no partiality within the gospel. Do you know what the, the word uh, translated partiality comes from two ancient words, Greek words, put together? It means to receive and to face. It means to judge things on the basis of the externals. So... There's no partiality. God's not going to look and say, oh, but I knew your heart. I knew you were going through a hard time. I knew that you were struggling. I knew that you, something happened in your past. God says, I'm, judgment is about the externals. There's no partiality. I'm not saying God doesn't love who you are and care about what's going on in your heart. Because he does. But he's not judging What's going on in your heart is judging sin. He needs to judge sin to, to make sin powerless. To apply Jesus to sin, you need judge to be, a sin to be judged. So then a perfect judge, prince of peace, person, prophet, can come and then stand over that judgment and say that it is clean. You're judging sin, but I've taken sin and I've destroyed it. You know, it's, there's no partiality with God. And the thing is, God will judge everyone, both Jews and Gentiles. I know there's a lot of judgment here. There's a lot of judgment. And we could just, I could say judgment law, judgment law, judgment law. But we do have a time limit here. The Jews had written the law, 12 verse 13. For all those who have sinned without law will also perish without the law. And those who have sinned under the law would be judged by the law. The Jews knew God's standards. The Jews had the opportunity to listen to the law every Sabbath in the synagogue. But to hear the law was not enough. They must obey the law. Obey my orders and laws. The man who obeys them will live by them. Leviticus 18.5 The Gentiles did not have the written law, but God is still their judge because nobody can avoid God's judgment. For the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. God's righteous judgment is not withheld because someone has heard the law. It's only held back if someone actually fulfills the law. Does the law. Hands up. Who's ever gone a day without gossiping, slandering, being envious, being lustful, being angry, being disappointed, um, being greedy. Hands up. No. Yeah. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> I'll be judged by that, actually. Um, yeah, no one has ever made a day. I've tried. Trust me, when I was younger and I was single and I had time, I was like, I was like, you know what I'm going to try and do today? I'm going to try and get through the day without sinning. 
I didn't get very far. That's how super spirit I was. I didn't get very far at all. I didn't have much money, so I just <laughs> I had to be at home a lot, of, a lot of the time. I don't know if you've ever been like, I haven't sinned for this long. Or you've, you've tried to count your, like, count it and be like, I haven't sinned for like 30 minutes. You know? <laughs> it's like, that's pride. You just sinned. You know? It's just like, sin is so depraved, depraved. We're so depraved by sin. That we can't even try to not sin because in trying to not sin, we become proud and we don't realize that we need to trust in God's love and his sacrifice. It's basically saying, do everything that you can to try and be holy. But the only way you'll ever get there, after tiring yourself out, after disappointing people, disappointing yourself, the only way you'll ever get there is through who? Jesus. Because those who know the law will be judged by the law. Those who don't know the law will be judged regardless. We all need God. You know, the, the Jewish person or the religious person may think that he or she is saved because he or she has the law, but has kept it. This is Romans. The Gentile may think that he is saved, he or she is saved, or he or she does not have the because he or she does not have the law, but he's kept, or she is kept, by the, uh, the dictation of their own conscience. People will be judged not because they have the law, do not have the law, but because they have sinned. <laughs> it's like saying, just because you sit in a garage, you know, just because you sit in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. Just because you've heard the law, doesn't mean you're free from sin. There's a difference, you have to keep the law to perfection. You have to keep every single law. And you know that there was 10 commandments in the Old Testament. And after Jesus died, there was a 400 a year, um, years of silence between the Old Testament and New Testament. And do you know what happened during that time? The religious people were so stressed out about keeping God's law because God wasn't speaking for 400 years. So they added almost 400 to 500 new laws to it. God didn't make those laws. They did. And do you know that, this is a fun fact, most of them were against women. So this is when, when Jesus came and he started revolutionising it and bringing women into the fold and redeeming that. You know, God... <laughs> didn't make all these laws, we did. But that's how, how much we need Jesus. We get fearful if we don't know the freedom and the grace of God. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you hear the Lord doesn't, make you, doesn't mean you have kept it. We need Jesus. And verse 14 to 15 and 16. We all understand God's standards. We all know there's, there is some sort of standard in this world because we've all been created by God. We just might not have a language to it. And this is what he's saying here. Even though the Gentiles don't have the law, they do know God's standards. You know what is right and wrong. You know how you feel when you do something that isn't good. We all know it. Verse 16, God's judgment will be fair because he knows everyone 
He knows every secret in every person's life. Have you, have you ne- had something that you haven't prayed to God about because you're like, I don't think God will want to know this? Anyone? You're kind of like, I'm not going to bring this to God. I'll just bring the good stuff to God. Yeah, I've done that before. I've been like, why would God want to help me through this? Why would God want to hear about this? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring the good stuff to Him. My praise, my worship. God's judgment is fair because He created everyone and He knows everyone's heart. He knows what goes on inside of it. He also knows that He loves you with a passion. A passion that led Jesus to the cross. And a kindness that leads every single person to repentance. You know... God will judge by Jesus. Jesus himself said the Father had given him authority to judge. You know, Jesus is the judge who God has appointed. And it's good news that Jesus is the judge. He knows what it is like to be a man. He will not punish those people who trust him. He has rescued them from sin by means of his death on the cross. We need to thank God that Jesus is the judge. Because it says in the Bible that there is no sin that is common to man. That means that even Jesus himself knows what it's like to struggle with everything that we've ever thought about. Um, let's get uncomfortable here. You know, God was, was tempted with lust. Jesus was tempted with lust. He was tempted with greed, gossip. He was tempted with all these things. He was tempted with fear. He was tempted with... Think of the most depraved thing that a hu- human being can do. And Jesus was tempted by it. We can't understand the power of the gospel without understanding the, the depravity of sin. But we can't understand how, uh, the, power, the depravity of sin without, un- without further than understanding that Jesus was tempted with everything that sin can lead to. But the difference is he overcame. He did not sin, and he overcame, therefore created a pathway back from, for us to the Father. God will judge, and Jesus is the judge. We need Jesus. God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus? Do you not know Jesus? Do you know his goodness? His freedom, do you not know? His goodness, freedom. Yeah, I've done a, I've done a bit of a study into Jesus. It's called Christology, a study into salvation called soteriology. Um, the main thing, the common thing in it, is not humans, what we do. The main thing is Jesus. He's central to everything in our lives. He is central to sin because, hear me out, because he has defeated it. It's like if you chuck a light into a dark room, what happens? It gets lit up. Jesus, the light of the world, walked into a dark room so we could walk out. We need to know Jesus because God is judging the world by Jesus. And this is what he's writing to Paul. God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Let's close our eyes.